Hello, welcome to Observers Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 2, which is Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Ant-Man. But before we do that, Buddy, I want to show the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we talk about games, but we also owe one of our one of our very uh, uh, very faithful listeners, Alex Zhao, asked us to go through and rate all of the Marvel movies, and so we are we are progressively doing that movie by movie. Actually, not quite movie by movie, phase phase ish by phase ish. So we're doing it in these three movie chunks, right? Um, so the last chunk that we did last week was. Uh, the beginning of Phase 2 with Iron Man 3, Thor 2, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, right? This week we are continuing on with the back half of Phase 2, which is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of Ultron, and Ant-Man. So, yeah. Alright, so, uh, how do we want to start this out? We'll start it out with, with Guardians, I guess, because that's, uh, that's, that's the first one in, in the list. Um uh, oh, by the way, spoilers for all of these movies, uh, if you care. Um, something that came up, too, is that um, there's a sp- – just it's funny to me. There's a spoiler for Titanic in Ant-Man. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Um, uh, but um, what were your – like kind of in a word for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? What's, 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 what's your general impression? So on my notes – I say I have Guardians of the Galaxy uh, not in a great position. Um, I have Guardians of the Galaxy at two stars, uh, which is maybe a little bit meaner than like I want to. I expected it to be three stars, right? Like I don't love Guardians of the Galaxy, but I also did not remember hating it. I just kind of thought it was fine. Um, but you know, uh, that that that's where it is. Um, uh, the interesting thing to me about Guardians, um, was it was worse than I remembered, which is weird because like I expected it to be good and I don't, and I don't know where this comes from. I expected it to be good. Like I expected to like it and think it was, uh, like a good, strong movie. Uh, but instead I found it to be kind of weak and boring outside of the fun and games part. Like I've talked about this before and this is quickly becoming a a like a trend for these for these movies for me where the beginning kind of from the middle of like the first act up through sort of the second act like that stuff is fun. That's that's you know it, that's the the cool stuff. That's the stuff that I remember. That's the stuff that when I think back on the movie and I'm like, oh, that part was great. All the, all of those parts come from the middle of the movie. They never come at the end of the movie. And then the end of the movie shows up and I'm like, that's kind of a fucking slog. <laughs> like, this sucks. Um, so that was kind of where I was with, uh, with Guardians. I also found myself less... I was more annoyed... I guess by sort of like the jokey jokes, the bathos humor with uh, with this one. I really hated Star Lord. I don't know where this where like where this came from, but I just found I found specifically Star Lord very insufferable. Like a lot of the other characters were as were like funny or whatever. Like I love Drax. I think Drax is great, and the bit with him is great. The bit with Rocket is is also great. And there's some other stuff in here that's just like that's just like funny. But I just like I don't know, man. I really felt. I was I, I was very burnt on Star Lord immediately I think which maybe is like a I don't know maybe it's just a result of I have no idea what that is but it, it's true uh, and the other thing is that I I liked Ronan better 
than I expected to, even though I feel like the movie does Ronin pretty dirty. Um, this, is a, this is another movie where, like, the villain seems pretty um, ineffectual. It reminds me a lot of Captain America, the first Avenger, where I kind of talk about how, like, the bad guy really isn't super threatening. Ronin is not that super threatening. He gets made fun of a lot, which I just, like, kills his menace. Uh, but I kind of forgot how much, like... Lee Pace, who is an actor I like a lot and plays Ronan, like, goes hard on that part, which I can respect, even if, like, he is the butt of a lot of jokes and ultimately not super menacing. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm going to come down pretty opposite you. I adored Guardians of the Galaxy in theaters. I adored it this time as well. Um, I think this is going to come down to that in the movies that are primarily about being funny, I'm willing to give them more leeway to be funny at the expense of the drama. Um, I think this is like a, a typical difference between you and me, and I, I think that's just gonna that, that's gonna be fine. I th- this will probably come back in uh, in Ant Man because I, I feel similarly about that as well. Um, oh, I, I I I I'm interested in that. I have problems with Ant Man's, but they're very different. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I, I I definitely kind of get where I, you've in the past have said that like Marvel humor isn't always great, and uh, there's also the moments where it like undercuts the uh, the tension or whatever. Um, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about this a little later because it it started it's it has started to annoy me more in the quote unquote more serious movies, um, but in Guardians and in Ant Man and in those kinds of movies, um, it doesn't bother me as much because I, I think it's part of uh, part of the the style there, right? Like, yeah, you know, like there are definitely spaces in here where I think it works. I like the banter. I think that's the that's where the movie is is like strongest, and that's why like the middle sections are so fun. There's a lot of banter going around, and there's just like good bits in there, right? Like the um the thing with the pri- I think the prison break is the highlight of Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Like, yeah, from the moment that. where they're in the thing and the shot in the cafeteria, and he's explaining the plan, and Groot is going and pulling the battery, and that starts the whole thing. But it actually, like, the joke, this is what I love. The joke also sets up the action set piece. Because, like, par- part of the setup for the joke that will be paid off is Rocket is running through the convoluted plan. But then the convoluted plan they execute on, right? And it's used as the framework that you can kind of, like, ex- like expect and understand going forward into the subsequent action scene. Which I think is pretty sweet. Um I also think that uh, it also works in nowhere, you know, like where the, like the group is fraying and they're yelling at each other, you know, like they have this like bickery relationship. I love all that stuff, and I think all that stuff uh, definitely works out fine. Oh, also, I the, the, another part of Guardians that I didn't mention: the beginning really sucks. I completely blanked this out. I kind of vaguely remembered like if you told me they had started in the jail i probably would have believed you because that's where i think of the movie as starting but this whole shit from star he gets the sphere to he brings the sphere to this planet and then they have that dumb fight scene in like the middle of the plaza all of that all of that i just think is detritus i like I hate okay it. So, um and i kind of just wish that it started in the prison you know like so i i will give you that i i am not the biggest fan of the plaza fight scene but i will say that i thought that the opening where he's retrieving the orb is fun in like just in kind of like the the stylistic music right because like the, this no i i like that part i want to be clear i am not talking about that like as far as i'm concerned the the prologue right and then that first scene where he gets the orb 
and then it ends with him flying away in his ship. I think all that stuff is great. It is specifically the fight scene on Xandar. Okay. Where like, and then all the and all the other stuff where it's like, oh, I'm gonna send Gamora, and I'm also gonna. I'm Rocket Raccoon, and I'm also doing this thing. And I understand that you kind of have to, like, get the team together. But I just, like, don't like the way this team gets together. Like, I, ah, boy, I was watching that, and I was like, I completely forgot how bad this all is. Part of it is honestly just cinematography, to be, to be honest. Like, I've criticized the Marvel movies. This has the same sort of color palette um, in that moment that, like, when I complain about the the airport fight in Civil War just being very gray and brown, it's the same sort of thing. Uh, and it's only really in this in this scene, in the other scenes in the prison, whenever they're doing interior stuff, whenever they're doing like CG stuff, that all seems to be like great and fine and colorful. But it's this scene and also the end have this very drab color palette that I'm just like, this is visually terrible and also very sloggy. Uh, so, but yeah. Anyway, the middle part is great. That's that was my point. Okay, no, no, that that is that that's that's fair, I guess. Um, I I think I, I think I still disagree with you on, uh, on on on, on kind of the, uh, so the the beginning. Like, I think if if I wanted to make a good case for it, I, w- I would say that the 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 drabness of Xandar and kind of like the the beginning, the middle is is kind of almost intentional, right? Because like the it's, it's the movie getting serious towards the end, um, and also it's like pitting our colorful cast of characters against kind of like the very rigid and ordered um, Nova or Xandar is like the Nova prime, right? Like, like yeah, I, the Nova core. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think part of that's intentional. I also do want to say that I think that I, I think it comes through less in guardians one, but I think that the guardians movies have like, feel like they've got like a little bit more autorness to them. Um, like I think James Gunn does a good job with it. Um, than yeah, like the other movies, other Marvel movies do. Um, so, so there's that, but tell me, Let's go into to what your your problems were with the. So I think my thing. So my thing with Star Lord, I don't actually think is this movie's fault. I think it's just a bit of a Seinfeld effect thing. That's actually an incorrect way to phrase it. It is. I have seen this Chris Pratt character in a bunch of places now because he's all you know. Like I've seen the Jurassic World movies, um, and he plays like a very similar character like there or whatever. That I think I'm just like tired of that archetype. Okay. Versus something like, you know, like The Rock kind of. Patrick Willems, like the YouTube guy I quote all the time, he once said that The Rock is sort of his own movie franchise, where, like, he more or less is playing the same character in every movie, and so you kind of walk into the movie with an expectation of, like, I'm The Rock, and, I, and you know, I'm going to wink at the audience, and I'm going to show you a good time, and we're going to punch some dudes, you know what I mean, like that kind of a thing. Chris Pratt is also doing the same thing, but I have worn very thin on that compared to the rock where it's just it's like you can sell me on any movie with the rock in it because i i like i just respond to his charisma in a different way i guess i want to see him bust out of more casts like in the fast and furious movies um and i think that started here right like star lord was the first instance of that and if it had just been star lord i would have been okay maybe but now it is Star-Lord, and it's Owen Grady, and it's his character that he voices in, like, the Lego movie. And they all have this, like, upbeat, overactive, puppy, immature, man-child thing going on that I just, like, ugh. Yeah, because it, it's funny, because it's, like, uh, it's uh, Andy Dwyer, right? That's the right character name from Parks and Rec? Mm-hmm. Like, he's, so, like, on, in that vein, but not quite there, right? Like, because um, I, I, I find that very separable, but I... I, yeah. I I take your point, um, 
don't know. It hasn't worn thin on me yet, maybe just because I don't watch as many of these things back to back. But I, 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 I get that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just a taste thing, to be honest. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that grates on me that doesn't grate on other people. Uh, yeah. You know, no, um, it just is what it is. Something that I thought was actually kind of interesting is that, like, the kind of recurring theme of Star-Lord can't help himself from doing something stupid, which is, like, kind of like the the crescendos yeah. in, 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 uh, in, 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 uh, in Avengers 3, you know, in, in uh, what, what is it? Um, Infinity War. Yeah, Infinity War. Um uh, I thought I thought was interesting because like it was interesting that they were like I hadn't caught that the first time I watched it but like you know Endgame or not Endgame Infinity War happens and then I go back and see this it's like oh they they you know it's it's, it's consistency that's that's pretty neat um, yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in here that I appreciated more so I will say that that the movie got better because so I like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two quite a lot and there's a lot of stuff in there that is reflected in here that I didn't pick up or, like, really notice the first time. Like, Rocket's whole thing... And I remember thinking about this, because, you know, like, it is... It's, it's, like, a powerful moment where, where he... But, where like, where he gets really defensive about being condescended to and, you know... Um, he's, like, he thinks I'm just something or whatever, and he gets, like, really mad about being called Rodent or Vermin or whatever. Uh, like, that reflects very well forward into guardians 2 where i feel like he gets a more complete kind of like character arc but i can actually you can, you can see the real seeds of it in this movie which i think is really great right like it, this is not the kind of thing where it's like okay it's the second movie we have a little more space let's flesh out you know rocket and he, he kind of becomes he gets a character arc so he is now a different character right um in this one it is actually very clear that this was like rooted in rocket's dna the entire time the same thing with drax also i sort of felt like um where you know in the second movie his arc is more about he doesn't really have much of an arc but he's kind of a supporting like fatherly character in a way to mantis and there's a lot of that stuff in here that i never would have picked up on the first time but like because it got sort of spotlight attention in the second movie i was like keened in to to see it here right yeah um all of which I think is very cool and very good. Yeah. Uh, the only person who that didn't really work for me for was Gamora. Um, I, I didn't like... We, we, we talked about this when we did our Guardians 2 review, but I wasn't a huge fan of like Gamora and Nebula's relationship stuff. I thought that was kind of like the drama in that movie that didn't work the that didn't work great, and it also doesn't work great here. It's kind of just fine. Yeah, I'm also... I'm just not a fan, I think, of this version of Gamora. Um, I think... She, like. I, and this isn't to the actress's discredit or whatever. I, I think it's just that, like, this version tries to also, like, she's a little too, like, like dumb Amazon archetype, right? Like, which is also the, the kind of the, the niche that Drax fills. And I like, I like, I like, frankly, I like both of their comic versions better, where, where Gamora's kind of like a femme fatale. And, uh, oh, I love Drax. Drax in this movie is nothing like yeah, in the yeah, comics. Yeah, yeah. But I love Drax in the comics. He's like one of my favorite characters. Yeah, in the no, I, absolutely. All, honestly, um, if I'm going to say something, the thing I dislike the most about this movie is is, is um, uh, the interpretation of um, of of Ronan, um, who I think is like yeah. like I think it's true. Yeah, like I think it's true to kind of like the concept of the Zila, but like. Him in the comics, he's got he's got a lot more nuance and it's a lot less just, like you know he's he's a hero sometimes right he's kind of like lawful neutral. Um, yeah, that's what I also love that about Ronan. He is like the pure lawful neutral, like archetypal sort of character. Sometimes that means he's like a good guy fighting with the hero. Sometimes that means he's a bad guy 
fighting the heroes in that, yeah. and that feels uh I don't know that that like feels good and feels cool and it absolutely does not come across yeah. here at all like he gets thrown way under the bus also i think the kree get thrown under the bus the kree are not bad guys in it, it is much more space politics than like evil empire right um when it comes to the kree the scrolls are kind of really the evil empire which is so weird in the marvel movies where the scrolls in captain marvel become like put upon refugees who are being like eradicated by this fascist Kree. And it's like, and like, like the Kree are definitely like authoritarian and not great. They have this huge hierarchy and everything else or whatever, but they are not like explicitly bad yeah. in the same way that the Skrulls are explicitly bad. But by the movies, the Skrulls are, or I'm sorry, the, the Kree are just like number one, big bad guys the whole time, no matter what, they're bad. Like, yeah. Yeah. Which I don't know. I just, I like, I, it's one of those things where I give it a pass, like an interpretative pass, right? Like, so for instance, it's the same sort of thing with like BVS. Like, I don't really mind that Batman shoots a car and the car explodes and he kind of inadvertently kills some people. I think you could interpret Batman that way and that's kind of a legal interpretation, if that makes sense. Even if it isn't like a core, like the yeah. core kind of um, like Batman that you might like expect sort of thing. It's the same sort of thing. This is not very core to the origins of the of the comics, but I think it's like a fair Yeah. Not only that, but like a lot of the cosmic Marvel stuff isn't known enough for people to care enough. Like honestly, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Oh, I mean, and there's a lot of cool stuff that also pops out of nowhere. Like I like what they do with the Ravagers here quite a bit. Uh so it's good stuff. There's bad stuff. Yeah, no, I, I think I think I actually I like this I like this Yandu better than the uh than the the original Yandu, um, yeah, the actual Yandu kind of sucks. Yeah, I mean, you just kind of like whatever, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, yeah, it's no, nobody cares. Nobody remembers him, right? Like, yeah, he doesn't no, really have a character. He's just kind of. It's funny because like the guy. the original guard, he's part of the original Guardians of the Galaxy, which is like this old thing that's like it, it's it's a very weird thing done in the comics but um it's funny too because like also the guardians of the galaxy is a very different sort of like makeup but like now people like the touchstone for people is the movie so like star lord the character who does not he's not all that much like chris pratt is like carbon copied at this point uh in the comics so i'm told i actually haven't read any of the recent guardian stuff i just have heard through the grapevine like people have talked about this where like you know, the movie was so titanic and had this, like, meteoric impact um, that they basically rewrote the character to match the movie persona. Yeah, so, so the, the thing, big thing I remember is, like, immediately following the movie, Star-Lord, like, his hair changes color, right? Because it's been it's brown, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he also, his, his like, mask thing also... Because it, it, he has that, but it doesn't look the same. But now it looks exactly like it is, and he has this the, the guns from the movie... Um, yeah, know. he's I also mean, he's also a fair, lot less optimistic. Right? He's a lot more or like he's, he's a lot less happy. He's a lot kind of like more edgy in in the comics. But you know, like yeah, in the comics he's kind of like Han Solo. He's like very Lancery. Yeah, know? yeah. Or I like I guess I think of him that way. Yeah, um, I think he's a little bit even more than that, right? Like like a little yeah. yeah um, um, but yeah, Guardians is also weird because like you get like it, it kind of rotates pretty hard, right? Like I remember like towards the end of Annihilation, where like Jack Flag, which is a hero I had never heard of before, like gets rotated <laughs> at some point. He's like in yeah. a wheelchair on some planet. It's just a weird. Um, listen, listen. There's Jack Flag, and then there's also Union Jack, who is also a flag. Carrot. He is a he is a an English super spy who wears a full onesie of the Union Jack. That is a. 
Marvel Comics hero. Yeah, though no, if you get if you get deep into the Marvel lore, it it gets weird. Um, there was actually um a, a point uh or in in here too or um. What was I gonna say? There's a a thing in here. I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, Fair enough. Uh, so the other thing I wanted to talk about was Thanos, which I thought didn't age super well, um, which is kind of which is kind of unfair in a certain sense because Thanos uh, isn't really. I eating. think radically got. I have a feeling that the plan was to do third and fourth maybe Avengers movies with Joss Whedon, but Joss Whedon pulling out at the end of Ultron because he reportedly really hated Ultron and hated the way that Ultron turned out compared to the way he wanted it to. Um, uh, you know, like, with like Marvel producers like really kind of tying his hands behind his back kind of thing. Um, the And that him pulling out really changed sort of the back-end game. Because I just feel like the Thanos that is here is very different to the Thanos that is in Infinity War. Though I will say, they do a very good job of keeping Thanos in continuity, in a way. Um, which is to say that, like, the way Gamora talks about Thanos now lines up very well. I mean, yeah. like, she references a scene that then gets shown in Infinity War, right? Um, which I did not remember being set up that explicitly. But, like, now I'm like, oh, that's... That's actually really cool. Like, that's some, like, real yeah. context, right? Um, though, like I said, I feel like my thing with Gamora in this movie is that she, she like, turns too quickly. She just kind of tells you off screen that, like, oh, I was secretly going to betray Thanos to do a third-party buyer or whatever. And I feel like that's, like, a pretty big character moment that is sort of brushed off in a piece of very offhanded dialogue. That, yeah, because um, it's, like, our introduction to her, right? Like Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's a it's good way. It's just like weird because you kind of you you are introduced to the character and you have a certain footing and then she immediately undercuts that and I just like I, I felt yeah that no I, I feel like the way to do that is to like 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 put her footing on that immediately like you know like you 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 know you see like you know <laughs> I don't know how you do this but you know she like the scene opens up and she's looking at the screen it's like betray Thanos now right and then like she turns it off and turns around <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like, no, but, like, you know, the opening could have been something like she's talking to the Collector about betraying Thanos. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Or something like that, you know. I don't know. I just, like, that yeah. stuff, that stuff wasn't great. So, um, so I remember the thing I wanted to bring up before we move on real quick. Um, sure. So something that struck me is that, like, this is the the kind of, like, the, the group movie, um, but we already, like, you know, the Avengers is already a thing, right? Like, um, and I thought it was interesting them trying to kind of assemble this team and have it work that way even though it doesn't quite like I, I feel like it kind of stands in the shadow of the Avengers as a team movie I think it's just hard to get out from under that do you have any thoughts on that I'm sorry I don't quite understand what you mean like what do you mean the group movie? so so like this is like a team-up movie right like it's ultimately sure. kind of like the, the Guardians of the Galaxy are, are a group yep. property um and I think that like part of these problems that we're, that we're talking about right is that like the, they're all individual characters, but they don't get, like, the characterization of their own movies, right? And they're less well-rounded characters in the first place, right? So I don't know if you could do a Drax movie. Um, but um, I feel like this movie struggles in some ways to kind of get that coherence to to sing, maybe is the right way to put it. because And just in comparison to the Avengers movies that surround it, right? Like, the, the first Avengers movie and, and Avengers Ultron. Um, uh 
I don't know how how you can do that super effectively, but uh, it, it... yeah, I mean, I think that there are pieces of it that like there are sometimes interactions that I think work very well. For instance, I like Star Lord's flirting with Gamora, like trying to seduce her with his like Walkman thing. Like, and I th- I think there are a lot of moments in there that 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 work pretty well in terms of kind of like creating the in terms of kind of like creating like the ensemble. But it's one of those things where like I the the movie never sells me on their friendship. And this is something that I that I talked about in the Avengers movie a little bit, where um, the world is bigger than that movie, right? And there are all of these little details in that script that suggest more, right, to it. Um, and this movie has, like, a little bit of that. Like, you know, like, there are times when Star-Lord is like, oh, like, you should have seen the... Caltraxian girl, she's got needles or something or whatever. And they're like, they're these like little bits, like this, these like little bits and bobs, but they never quite sell me on their friendship the same way that like in Avengers Age of Ultron, I am very sold on this is a group of friends. Yeah. You know? Um, and maybe it's because they're bickering all the time, like, and, and you just kind of can't do one or the other at the same time. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely, I definitely get that. It is an ensemble movie, but it, it is sort of like this. Um, uh, it feels like an alliance of convenience. It feels like us in a D and D game when we haven't like pre-written characters to be to have like relationships yeah, yeah. with one another. Where it's just like everyone is constantly infighting and you know trying to make decisions out of selfishness or whatever, and everyone else is kind of like going along with that to sort of humor them in, in a in a certain sense. Yeah, Does that yeah. make sense. Yeah, no, I, I mean, and that is literally the genesis, right? Like they are quite literally an alliance of convenience to break out of the prison, but yeah, yeah, kind of their their desire to kind of like follow up on things doesn't seem super sold to me. Like the only thing that like works for that for me is that Groot as kind of like a kind-hearted giant that's like this is the right thing to do but he's like the only character that fulfills that role right like yeah um yeah but that, that, that was that was that was my my kind of last thought on that unless you want to talk about anything else before we moved on to Ultron no okay so where, where did you put it or, 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 or do you want to do you want to place it or do you want to um uh let's do it at the end okay sounds good yeah okay Ultron Ultron famously one of my very favorite uh, one of my very favorite Marvel movies. It was my favorite Marvel movie for for a very long time. Um, I remember when it came out, I was like, that was like fine. But then I watched it basically immediately. Like I remember it came to video or something like that, and I watched it again, and I was like, blown away in a way that I have a hard time putting into words how well this movie works for me. Um, I rated it back in the day five stars. I would continue to rate it five stars. I just like. I just love this movie. Though I will say, um, I, I this one this one is weird. I must have seen this movie maybe like ten or fifteen times because it's one of those things that I'll put it on in the background. It's just like, oh, I'm whatever doing some wow thing, and I'll just pop it on the other screen. So I've seen it a lot, and I know its problems, and I like have stuff that like I don't love or that doesn't quite sing in the way that I want it to. But there's just like, man, there is so much about this movie that I just I I absolutely adore and it is like the quintessential like almost perfect marvel movie in that way uh for me so boy yeah i fucking love ultron dude <laughs> yeah so i thought it was all right like i, I never I, I don't i mean and this this is not like you know this is like you know um you know still like b plus territory for me right it just didn't, mm. didn't seem particularly um fantastic to me i think a large part of this is just that like i 
don't particularly like Ultron's character in that. In that's, interesting. That's not even quite right, right? Like, I think Ultron's character I, I, is interesting. Yeah, I would agree with that, though. I get that. Like, I think Ultron's pretty weak overall. It, Ultron it, reminds me a lot of Loki, where it's like, he keeps, like, explaining his motivation, but it's, like, never quite clear what he's doing. Like, at first, he, like at first it seems like he's doing the typical thing, and you see this in AI movies all the time, where, like, the AI is like, oh, humans are actually, like, I'm supposed to protect humans by killing all of them or something and it's like some flaw in the code sort of thing you know like that's in that's in robot movies everywhere but then he like gets to this extinction evolution place and he's talking about it all the time and it's just like what the fuck is like going on and i do like it in a certain sense like for instance i really like the scene at the very end with the vision in ultron talking um, and I like some of the stuff that, like, that kind of, like, comes out with Ultron and, like, Tony, and he gets, like, really mad about it, and he's, like, really shitty about it, you know, like, with Tony or whatever. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I, 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 I feel that. Ultron is not great. Yeah, and, and like, I, like, I think the, like, kind of, like, petulant child of Tony, I think is a really interesting thing, but I don't think they pull on it hard enough, and I also don't think that, um, frankly, I think his voice actor, I, I can't remember the actor's name, is, is great. Yeah, so I think I think that's a great kind of like voice for a villain to to put it bluntly. But like, I don't think it matches his villain well, right? Like, I think I think like I think you want someone who can sell that petulantness a little bit better. Um, whereas I think James Spader is much more suited for a more kind of serious villain um, in a way. And maybe that contrast is supposed to highlight, but it doesn't work for me. Um, but yeah. I, I I don't think it's like like I said I, th- I still think it's it's a pretty good movie although I will say that this was like like the um the kind of the the bathos stuff like hit me hard um, oh really so it's one moment in particular it's the like when Ultron first appears and they and they go into fight and Hulk or rather it's Banner like lands on uh, Black Widow's breasts um, and oh just... yeah that's a weird thing because that also happens in Joss Whedon's Justice League movie. And I don't think I would have noticed it at first, but then it happened in Justice League where the Flash lands on Wonder Woman like that. And I was just like, did he just use the same joke twice? <laughs> like, I don't know, it's just a weird Joss Whedon joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, and like, to, to the point, right? Like, I, like, that really, like, ground, like grated on me, right? Like, it was just like, oh, that's that's the thing that Buddy hates, where, like, the stakes are undercut by, like, the dumb humor. Um, and, like... Yeah, I guess I get that. I guess I get that. I do think that it's well-placed, and I also like it as a character thing. So, for instance, so, I, I, I this is maybe one of the clever things about the movie that I really am just like, oh, mwah, so good. Where, in the beginning, they do the whole thing with, like, Tony says shit and Cap says language and they're having that conversation over comms as they're like, you know, he like whips a motorcycle into a fucking tank and Hulk busts a bunker. But the thing that I love about that is that it is setting up a context that is then the the sort of basis of the of like the character arc in a way where it's like the movie's premise is that like the Avengers are together and they've been together for the last two years. They have been avenging things. They are referencing villains. They fought off screen and like all, you know, like their adventures or whatever. Um, and they clearly have a dynamic, but the core problem in this movie is they are faced with a problem that kind of rips them apart at their seams a little and exposes that like, yes, these people are all friends, 
but they're not working together as well as they think they are, right? So it's kind yeah. of a story in, like, group hubris in a way. But so the the basis for that is you kind of have to show the group working as this well-oiled machine, which is why you open up on that one shot of all of them doing the thing, which is, like, that shot is the payoff, right, of a, of the original Avengers, is the big and yeah. the panoramic with the with the theme. Well, you start with that song in this one. They are they are in that mode, but over the course of the movie, they kind of split up and fray, and they're making decisions and they're fighting with one another, and that's where they kind of like fall apart and end up kind of coming back together. Where it then ends with a similar one shot with the big Avengers theme, which I I, just, I love that stuff. I think that stuff is like super great and super fun, um, and it even comes out like in the middle. Like so, for instance. During the fight, they're they're pretty harmonious, but then Scarlet Witch zaps their brains and like kind of plays on everyone's insecurities in particular, right? Um, you know, Cap is like having this hard time imagining himself outside of, you know, he can't see himself re-entering the civilian life. You know, Tony's obviously still suffering from his PTSD. Side note, I think this movie does Tony's PTSD better than Iron Man 3. I don't think I had ever watched them this close to yeah. one another, but now that I had, I was like, wow. This is like 20 minutes less of Tony PTSD content, and it is so much better and more direct. Not only that, but it immediately great. invalidates Iron Man 3 by having the Iron Legion show up, like, first thing, right? It's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, I know. It's like, it's like Joss Whedon was like, you know what? Eat a dick, Shane Black. <laughs> Um, and I also like, and so for instance, the villains, right? Like, there's that part with the with the villain where he's like, there's a bunch of jokes in this beginning section that are all bathos humor, right? Where the villain is like, we will never surrender. And then he talks to his guy and he's like, okay, so I'm going to surrender. And I think all of, but the, the thing that makes this all work for me is that it is all part of the setup. Right. But then when the fraying happens, it is taken seriously and there is not, there are not jokey jokes anymore, right? Like, um, and so I, it, it compartmentalizes the bathos in kind of the correct place where it is here is a group of people who are not really in that much danger. This isn't a very high stakes situation. They're good at this and they don't have to worry all that much um, compared to in the middle and later periods of the movie when it is like, this is serious and we are, this is a threat we've never faced before. And we do have to kind of like, you know, worry about it or whatever else. Um, That's like part of my, that's like part of my whole thing with, with, Ultron that I just think is so great. I also think that the action is unreasonably good in this movie. It was like a huge step up, even from Guardians, which I also think has good action. But Guardians has good action because it has good, interesting frameworks, right? Like that prison scene that I was talking about where it's like they crafted an intricate skeleton or like a like a like a like a dominoes thing where you're you're watching the dominoes tick off. Um, and I think all of that is like cool or whatever, but it's not actually the filmmaking that's good about it. Um, like I don't know. To be honest, I don't think the action filmmaking in Guardians is all that good at all. Uh, like, I, I can't even really think of a good, like, shot of action. I just think it's well-structured, and the scenes work in a dramatic context. They, like, they flow, they have good pacing. That's kind of how it works, if that makes sense. But, like, I think the Hulk versus Iron Man in the Hulkbuster armor fight is maybe the best fight scene in all of... Marvel, you know, like all of the Marvel movies, it is like the perfect superhero fight scene. It feels like um, plenty of stakes, plenty of drama, but it's also like 
So, okay, so Peter David, who's like a famous comics writer, I have a book that he wrote that's like how to write superhero stories or whatever. It's like over in, in my on my bookshelf. And one of the things he talks about is like, he says there are three pieces that make a good superhero fight, and I don't remember what all of them are, but one of them is like novelty or like uniqueness, right? Nobody wants to just watch a hero punch the other hero into submission, right? They want to watch the heroes do cool shit with their powers, right? And do, like, things that you wouldn't necessarily expect that of them, right? Um, and the Hulkbuster scene is, like, full of this, right? right it's yeah. all of this. It's like, Tony is... He has the satellite thing, and he you're you're watching, and the Hulkbuster armor has all these, like, neat functionality things, like, where he catches the fist, and then he, like, puts it in the... You know, like, puts it in the thing. The Hulk is doing shit like that, right? Where, like, Farsi gets locked in this little cage, but then he breaks the ground under the cage and pulls himself out or whatever. Um, then he, you know, like, all of that stuff, I think, is just, like, ah, so great and so cool. Um, that it's just, like, is, is really sweet. Uh, it also is there in the rest of the fight scene. Like, there's Iron Man versus Ultron. Um, they're, you know, they're shooting each other with, like, lasers and, like, the Klaus stuff like that. I also think that the, there's, like, that middle bit, um, that I like quite a lot with the, uh, which is, like, the unpowered heroes. That one is, like, Hawkeye, Black Widow, Captain America, and the twins, right? It is, so there's no Iron Man, Hulk, or Thor to do, like, the big smashy stuff, and it's, like, a big chase scene. I think all of that, you know, like, all that action is great. The action at the very end sort of sucks, though. Which is another one of my things where I'm like, yeah, this movie does have problems. I just don't think it works, to be honest. Um, there's something about Ultron's faceless mooks that are... I don't know. They're, it's funny because the faceless mooks are an interesting complication in other pieces of like their fighting. Um, but in this moment... Like, and in the very end, in the Sokovia stuff, it just, like, really doesn't work for me. I also think it's, like, I, I don't like the centering it around citizens thing. Th this is probably, people have said that this is, like, a reaction to the backlash against Man of Steel, which I'm already on record yeah. with, I don't agree with, right? Um, and that, like, focusing the climax of the movie about rescuing these civilians and the mechanics of rescuing these civilians was a way to, like, you know, really show the heroes doing the heroism and not just fighting people. You know what? I'll fucking say it. I'm not watching... I don't want to watch a movie about the firefighting versions of the Avengers. I want to watch the Avengers beat people up, I guess. I'm sorry. Like, that's just the truth. Um, like, I don't know. Like, that stuff really doesn't work for me. Um, yeah, and so I, so I think the general know. concept works. I think that, like, maybe you need less individual moments of it. Right, like I think you can like have like the plot be like we need to get the helicarrier, we need we need to get these people off the island, and the helicarrier shows up, and like as a macro thing that that works, but like I think yeah, it, I I, th I agree with that. I I think what it was is the the priority in the in the moment to moment filmmaking was the citizens, whereas I think it should have been flipped. Where like imagine if the priority of that fight scene is fighting Ultron, but every once in a while you're kind of cutting away to sort of this like B plot of like okay, Nick Fury, Black Widow. Hawkeye are like supervising the evacuation while right. Tony and Thor and the Vision are like blasting Ultron's face or whatever. In in the version of the movie that we have, it's the opposite, where it's like most of the time it's like, oh well, we gotta evacuate these civilians and we gotta catch a civilian that falls off the the thing or whatever. And then you cut to Ultron like once every five minutes where he like does something. And it's like, man, that sucks and is like boring and unfun um, compared to you know. 
a fight scene where they actually like like beat him up. Though at the very end, it gets pretty good. I like like there's the moment where they're all at the Keystone and it's like we gotta protect this thing, and then there's the big shot, and then they you know that stuff is all fine. Yeah, you know, like that stuff is all work. But that comes at the very end. It's like 25 minutes of like the logistics of evacuating civilians, and then five minutes of this right, uh, which doesn't doesn't quite work for me. Yeah. So the thing the thing I like. The, the kind of it's it's kind of related to the end point stuff that 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 bothered me much more this time around is I had like I hadn't realized the first time I watched this how hard they sold the kind of like you know this is this this is uh um this is uh Hawkeye's last day on the job right like you know six minutes from retirement thing and like you know I had kind of like I didn't realize you know it's like his wife's pregnant I forgot his wife was pregnant right like it's like and you know there's the the the, the ever controversial farm controversial with um, <laughs> we, we should talk about the farm but keep going <laughs> but, but like they just like they 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 hammered in so fucking hard and then they do like the like this is like the, like if if you want to like talk about like the you know like the bad like you know subverting expectations things like this feels like just terrible right like where yeah yeah so. <laughs> the funny thing about that is exactly how hard they push it. Like, for instance, the team constantly makes jokes about how Hawkeye is the emotional core of the team. And in the structure of the script, he is the emotional core of the team. He is the only one that doesn't get zapped by Black Widow's... Or, I'm sorry, not Black Widow's, Scarlet Witch's mind juice, right? So everyone gets hit by this, and they're all kind of, like, suffering under it. But Hawkeye is the one that specifically stops, stops her from doing that and is working with the team to kind of be the emotional support, which is why the farm is so important, right? He takes them into his home because he is like a true friend helping his friends in need, which I love. I love this whole thing, right? But I do agree he kind of should have died, specifically because I think I would have preferred a version where none of them died, but the thing where it looks like Hawkeye is going to die, oh, Hawkeye, oh no, and then like Quicksilver comes in at the last second, it honestly feels like the GM's NPC jumping in front of like the lethal crit to make sure that a player character in a D&D game doesn't die. It is completely contrived and like comes out of nowhere. Though, also, Quicksilver kind of sucks and is uninteresting, so I... I, I will agree I with that, but does. like the part of the thing that like aggravates me about this is that like he's bad at being a speedster right like like a speedster getting shot by bullets is like the worst way to kill a speedster right like, that's like the one thing like you know it's like like especially when he like grabs um what's what's the uh claw claw the bullets out of the air and like puts them it's like how does he get like i get the deal i love that moment yeah see exactly no i completely agree with you i love that moment i think that moment is great like he uh, he pulls the gun out and then he like lines them up on the desk or whatever that's so cool how the fuck does that person get hit by a bunch of like machine gun fire like all you need to do is make it something else make it a heroic sacrifice there's a grenade about to go off and it's not like he can you know what i mean like he has to run and jump on it before before it does because he has a split second or something like that you know what i mean like some way to kill this guy that is not him getting shot by a gun yeah like ah i i wonder if Hawkeye was supposed to die. I do. I, I like. I sometimes look at all of that and I say, they changed this at the last minute. Like Jeremy Renner was supposed to, you know, get out of here and and go off into the sunset, and they pulled the plug on that at the last minute. This is part of my. I have an overall problem with like people not dying in Marvel movies that we'll we'll probably talk about. It's much more. It's much worse in Phase Three um, comparatively. Um, 
But this is absolutely up there with like, you are killing the wrong people that we don't actually care about in these movies. Yeah, and so I like, like I so I, I wonder how much of the like if you know if Joss Whedon would, would, would tell stories right like. Like they do a little bit to set it up, right? Like you know, it's like he he gets tired. Like uh, Quicksilver gets tired at one point, and like you know, <laughs> Nick Fury says, "If you die, walk it off," which I thought, like you know, in, in retrospect, right? Like I thought that, that made sense, and like they show him getting shot once, but like it feels like you need to set up a lot more of that, or at least like you know, like you know, like show it to the camera a little bit more, right? Like it'd be like you know, like show him like being tired or something, right? Like they do it a little bit, but not enough that I think it justifies it super well. Again, I also would have liked it if it was true. I mean, technically it was Ultron who was shooting the machine gun that kills him or whatever, but he was like piloting the Quinjet or whatever. I think I would have liked it as a stakes raising moment for Ultron moving from sort of the rescuing civilians phase to the just fighting Ultron phase. Like imagine a version of things where Cap tells Quicksilver, you have to distract Ultron. And then you get 45 seconds of of Quicksilver zipping around, fucking with Ultron by doing all this speedster shit. And then Ultron does the, like, enough moment. And he kills Quicksilver. He, like, catches Quicksilver, kills him. And he's like, I'm done with this bullshit. We're finishing this. And then you can move into that piece with, like, yeah. the key, key bit. That, perfect, I feel like. Compared to him getting shot... From a plane that Ultron is in, like, off screen or whatever. And all this stuff with Hawkeye. I mean, like, I understand the fake out that's happening there. Um, and I and I kind of think that it's, like, a little bit clever. But I think it's more clever on the page than it is in actuality. And, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, it's one of those things where I can imagine, you know, like, I could imagine being in, like, my college screenwriting class. And someone's sitting there talking me through the scene and they say, oh, well... You you're you're pulling the rug out right, and it's the it's subverting the trope, it's subverting expectations or whatever, and it's one of those things where the people go ape shit for that, right? Like people on on the page are always like, oh, that's so cool, that's so clever, but actually in the moment, right? Like the reason those tropes exist is because they are emotionally kind of like affecting or whatever, and I don't think people respect that kind of like narrative wizardry as much as they do just like. What? sincere emotionality what? in your storytelling you, you mean you didn't appreciate it when he looked at the camera and said but you didn't see that coming <laughs> like, yeah oh my god right like put a put a pin in it i guess fuck man yeah. like, <laughs> uh, but you know the, the problems aside I, I i like i said i i, I enjoyed it qu- quite a bit and obviously you, you loved it do you, do you have anything you want to highlight about that you particularly loved about it that, so that the, two, the two things so first of all like i said it's like the action the fight scene right. i love that like hulk iron man fight scene probably the best fight scene in all of marvel or whatever right but the two things that really get me with ultron are the party so after the first big fight at the hydra base right they have that party it's like an extended sequence right that party is the quintessential thing that I was talking about in Avengers 1, where it's, like, hinting at more and, like, selling the selling the, this greater world and, like, this team or whatever. Like, that these guys get together and have a party and everyone's in there, you know, like, everyone's in there, like, casuals, uh, their civilian clothes or whatever. Um, and they're just, like, chatting and having a good time and, you know, and you're getting these, like, little bits, obviously, like, you're getting, like, Black Widow and the Hulk and, like, Bruce Banner having their kind of, like, bet thing back, back and forth or whatever. You have Tony and, and Thor bragging about their respective girlfriends. 
Um, I like all of that stuff. I think it just is. It is gangbusters. It is so good, and it is nowhere else. I feel like in any Marvel movie, I like am so hard pressed to think of moments that work quite on this level. And it's and the thing that gets me is it's so true to the comics. Like one of the one of the hallmarks of comic storytelling is you do have low issues that are like this like so for instance i went back and i was reading the ultimates which is a 2002 comic written by frank or mark millar not not frank miller um written by mark millar which is sort of like a modern retelling of the of the avengers and it has like black nick fury comes from this right like in the comic itself they are talking about who they would cast in the fictional universe and nick fury says i would want samuel l jackson to play me Ten years later, Samuel L. Jackson is playing Nick Fury, right? Um, but one of the th one of the issues in that book is just Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man hang out in Iron Man's penthouse apartment, getting dinner and talking, and just like hanging out or whatever. And that's like all over. I feel like in superhero comics because there's like the big the big dramatic stuff, right? And then you have like a couple of sort of filler ish issues in between that's just kind of like doing b plot low level right like these people are friends sort of uh, sort of stuff and i just think man is that super important and it also kind of like flips and comes back later with the house like that the the first part sells on the like the wider universe or whatever and it's like everybody's having a good time but the house when they go to hawkeye's farm the the logistics of this which i know are in hot debate or whatever when they go to hawkeye's form that is like the mark of an actual friendship right where it's like hawkeye is there and he has all of his friends who are having a, a bad day you know they're getting they're getting wrecked they're dealing with trauma all of this other stuff or whatever and he sort of reaches out to them and helps them through like that situation that pro like that problem it's just like this is like true sincere friendship and it's so good to see it like on screen so like this is the thing that that takes avengers age of ultron to like a five star like a plus top choice movie for me and, and why it was like my favorite marvel movie for the longest time like oh, the other stuff is great this is this is the this is the core this is the meat and potatoes of why i love that movie so there there that's my that's my age of ultron hey, that, that's that's perfectly fair and uh, just to clarify for the viewers at home I don't think the farm thing is actually hotly contested, except by A1, Alex Zhao, who are we doing this series for? So we at least have to yeah, pay Zhao, who we are doing this series for, when Ultron came out, we had, like, multiple days of just basic arguments because Zhao refused to entertain the possibility that Hawkeye would have this secret farm out in the middle of nowhere. So, you know... <laughs> that's that i guess yeah uh, yeah um yeah uh but we should move on to ant-man because i'm not letting a short change my okay, favorite so this, was, this was your favorite right yes. for a long time yes okay. uh i i love ant-man um i part of it is i just kind of adore paul rudd i think he's a, a fantastic actor and everything does and i think he like brings his paul rudd this fantastically this movie um kind of going back to it it's got its flaws right the plot is basically kind of terrible um the the villain is bad um yeah uh, and like the plot like the plot line is who cares um but the mm. and even like the heist part of it isn't super great it's okay um like it's not like you know like uh the the kind of like uh you know thing that was presaged by you know, winter soldier is you know marvel does this type of movie right like marvel does a spy movie i think this is right marvel does a heist movie and like i said 
not great. It was okay. There's a little bit too much, too much of the other stuff in here in it. But I think the characters really, really saw it for me. Like beyond, um, like the 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 like a, a handful of the characters, right? Like beyond Paul Rudd, I think that Michael Douglas does a great job of being uh, of being uh, Hank Pym. Um, I'm not a bit huge fan of Hope, but I also think that kind of like the supporting group, right? Michael Pena, David Desmalshin, and uh, it's T.I., I think, is, is is the third one. I think they do a great job of kind of doing it. I also like... Good friends. Yeah. They're, just fun, they're fun people to hang around with, it feels like. Yeah. I, I also, like, I really appreciate that, like, they, they kind of, like, go out of their way to, like, humanize kind of everybody in, like, you know, like, like, uh, like uh, Paxton is not a terrible dude, right? He's like a really nice dude that's just trying to do, just trying to trying to do his job, right? Right? I, I think that's all really well done. I really love the movie. What do you think? I'm in a weird spot because I actually think that technically, Ant Man is there is there's a lot of stuff that I want to like point to and be like, oh, like this is cool. This is cool. That's that's great. But I feel like ultimately it comes down to a couple of things. One, this feels like an Iron Man movie. And I forgot how much it felt like an Iron Man movie. Where, you know, it's a guy with a suit and he's a jokey joke guy. And so, like, that was a weird thing for me to sort of grapple with. Um, where it just felt a lot like Iron Man. Uh, like, I don't know. It, it, it was like... It's like watching almost a knockoff version, bootleg version of of Robert Downey Jr. in this iron in like an Iron Man movie that's not about Iron Man, um, and and so that that's like one piece of this. Um, the other piece of this, and this is my consistent criticism. This is what I thought about Ant Man at the time, and holds true to this day, which is that I feel like the core drama in this movie is completely ignored for Paul Rudd and his daughter and stuff which just feels like it feels like I'm watching a movie about a minor character and the major character is just off screen you know what I mean and they keep talking about what's happening it's like it's like a movie that is that is um god I don't have a great way of actually I do have a great way of explaining this have you ever heard of uh uh Shit, I can't remember the name of the movie. Okay, so in the '90s, there was there was a whole string of mon- like Universal monster movies that were like re- redone as sort of like prestige movies, right? So you had like Francis Ford Coppola did a did a, a Dracula movie. You had this like weird Frankenstein movie from Kenneth Branagh or whatever. There is also a movie in that that is the story of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, told from the perspective of his maid. Like, he's, like, handmade person, right? Who was played by Julia Roberts at the time. And that movie sucks, right? But the reason that movie sucks is because all of the interesting stuff is, like, always just happening just, like, just off screen. You know what I mean? Like, the core drama of the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde story is the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde stuff. And you're only ever seeing, like, oh, she wakes up one morning and finds bloody sheets. What could have happened? But it's like, wouldn't you have just rather been there for the murder, like the grisly murder that happened the night before sort of thing? That's exactly how I feel like about Ant-Man. The core drama in this movie is Michael Douglas, Evangeline Lilly, fuck, Hank Pym, Hope Pym, and Corey Stoll. I don't remember any of these fucking names. Um, It's like that relationship with like the father-daughter stuff, the mentor stuff or whatever. And it just feels like, 
Scott Lang's stuff and his personal drama is just like so on the it's like Pluto, you know, and I want to be watching the sun if that makes sense. Uh, so that's like my that that I think is like the core structural foundational problem to to the plot of this film. Okay, I I, I get some of that. Like again, I I think it's a valid criticism, right? Like I think your Iron Man comparison is kind of apt. I hadn't thought about that because this is like the fourth time we're doing like, and if the villains succeed, then the the security apparatus will you know dominate the yeah, world I mean, with how, fascism, yeah, that, right? Yeah, like that. This is another evil businessman really got me not, not only that, is it an evil businessman but it's an evil businessman that's specifically selling overwhelming force to something that will you know use the security power to take over the world right like or like you know oppress yeah. the world like it's not even like in solid terms right at least in in winter soldier you have like and they'll shoot everybody right or like in in iron, <laughs> yeah. in iron man it's like well, we're selling it to terrorists right and i guess you have that with hydro but it's like and then the military will be too effective. And then don't even like lay out like specific stakes, right? Other than like, you know, there's a guy from Hydra who isn't even like, he's like, it's like, like the Hydra uttered once as a word, right? Like, um, yeah, it is such an, it is such a, um, it's like an afterthought. Yeah. You know, it feels like they, they like, they added a quick scene where someone says, Oh, have you seen the new Hydra? They're doing cool things or whatever the line was in a reshoot or something like that. Which, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, but it works for me because it is ultimately supposed to be about – it's supposed to be about Scott, you know. So the thing I think they could have done better was have his daughter not believe in him, right? Like for at least a little while, right? Because she, she's consistently in his corner, right? Like the, the theme is supposed to be, you know, like be the hero that your daughter thinks you are, right? Um, and I guess it kind of makes sense that she doesn't lose that faith. But like because like it maybe be like – I think that that works is kind of like and, – and maybe maybe part of it is just that like he doesn't seem to arc that much, right? Like he never seems like he's not that hero. He's just kind of like, you know, a good guy like because they, they even like um, cast his thiefiness as being like ultimately good, right? Like Yeah, you know, I also agree with that. I don't think he has a real character arc. I do think that there is drama, right? right. Um, but technically I feel like the character arc is more – sort of on Michael Douglas and, like, hope and, like, that. This is part of what I mean, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. like, the core drama being these, the like, the side story, which I find very weird. Um, like, he is, I don't know, it just seems like he is a, he is a fundamentally good person. Yeah. Uh, and he never has to really change all that much. Uh, that said, I'm, be, I'm being a little, I'm being a little mean on this movie. I don't think there, there's stuff that works. Like, I actually, I like the, I like the, this is another movie where the fun in games is really great, yes. right? Like, I like the opening heist thing. Like, the whole thing where he, like, does the glue and for the fingerprint, that is cool. I love that stuff. That stuff is sweet. Um, even the, like, the training montage is, you know, pretty good, right? Um, there's the thing where he, like, goes down the bathtub. I don't love this stuff, to be honest with you, because it's kind of a little more, like, and it's like a it's like a roller coaster ride, you know. Like it's just happening. It's not like Scott is really making any sorts of decisions. Um, but it kind of. But like this is a thing that happens in kids movies all the, kids movies all the time, which I sort of like forgive it, right? I think all that stuff is fine. But then when it gets to like the very end uh, or any like real action, um, it's not great. I do like the final fight scene in technical terms. Like I think that uh, the the constant switching between 
sizes is cool. Um, I like the setup of him going into the quantum realm and getting himself out of the quantum realm. I think all that stuff is cool. Uh, but I don't know. There's just something about the, um, and that, that stuff, that stuff is kind of like hanging hangers on to some of these like deeper structural, deeper structural problems. So I will say the bit about Michael Pena explaining the story shot in the way it is, is like legitimately genius. No, I, I will agree. <laughs> um, I, I like, I think that like, I don't know. So this is a very minor thing. This is like almost like nitpicky level, but like something that bothers me consistently about like this movie or these the Ant-Man character is just that like the physics don't really make sense a lot. Right. Like, like, Oh yes. I, that really bothered me this time around actually. Yeah. Like whether or not like, like how much he weighs and like how that affects the world around him. It just like, doesn't like, cause he doesn't weigh that much when he's like standing as someone, but like he can apply that force behind a punch and like, you know, like sometimes things knock him over. Right. And then, you know, like then you have the moment where like the, the train hits the wasp, but like it's, tr- it's a toy train. So it falls over instead. Right. Like I, it just, no, I also, this reminds me of Captain America's shield. Yeah. It's like, if you, Captain America's shield, by, like, the physical definition of the way it works in the first Captain America movie, it stops vibration, right? Right, like, it is a, it is like a null object of, of momentum and energy, right? You shoot a bullet, the bullet doesn't bounce off, it hits and drops, right? The, the shield completely absorbs that energy, right? But then in Winter Soldier and in... Age of Ultron, you have these moments where Cap is, like, people are f- shooting his shield, and he's redirecting the gunfire with his with his shield or whatever, which is cool, right? But it legitimately doesn't make sense. Also, a lot of the times I saw, I, I was seeing it more in The Winter Soldier this time, and I've seen it a lot because I've seen Ultron a lot. There are some times when Cap throws his shield, and the it doesn't make sense how it gets oh, back yeah. I forgot to bring this up last time, but, like, Winter Soldier is where Captain America gets his new superpower of, like, advanced trigonometry, right? Like, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so, like, it reminds me, did you, you, we, we played the Marvel Ultimate Alliance movies, right? right the, the, the Ultimate yeah. Alliance games. The Ultimate Alliance games were famous for this because Cap had his shield, and he had a thing where his shield would, would bounce. Um, and I'm pretty so... This, this is how I remember it. In the first game, you kind of had to catch the shield or something like that which was like this thing where you would send the shield out and it would just be ricocheting forever until you could like figure out a way to get in its path and pick it back up sort of thing but in the second game you throw the shield and it loops back to you automatically but because it's like algorithmically determined you'll get these things where cap throws his shield and then in mid-air the shield like does a right turn to get back into cap's hand it's like I don't know, it's always like Thor's hammer at that point. Yeah, yeah. But there are like moments where if I just like clipped like a gif or something of a shield toss in like Ultron or in Winter Soldier and you just like slowed it down to like 75% speed and you watch the shield as it goes like bounce, bounce, bounce <laughs> into like his hand. There's a lot of that. And I feel like Ant-Man is full of this stuff. Yeah. Like there's, um, there's all this stuff where it wants to create drama around like getting shot with a bullet or whatever or getting stepped on but like if he has the same amount of mass he's just like that much denser right that's actually not all that dangerous right like it's not super dangerous yeah stepping on him should be like stepping on a nail right like you know like yeah exactly right um or like a bullet for instance should basically stop dead because like the mass of the bullet is so is so tiny and he has so much mass it's like 
you know, it's like shooting a neutron star, right? Like, the bullet is not going to hurt the neutron star, yeah. right? Um, and then there's moments where, uh, this, like, this really bothers me. So, for instance, he's falling through the drain pipe, right? And you see these things where it is clear that he weighs the amount of, of a normal person. But, like, the interior tiny little pipes... That's not built to hold up an entire man's weight. The whole thing should be collapsing, right? But like, he can he can be carried, for instance, on this like floating bed of little ants. But it's like that floating bed of little ants can carry more than two hundred pounds of weight. You know what I mean? And not only that, but two hundred pounds of, of weight none of that distributed in like sense. a single point, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Like that, mind-boggling, yeah. right? Uh, so it basically uh, works, I, and this is this is like this is like an ancient Ant Man problem, right? Like this is like how it works. Like this, this is the, this is the problem. Like with, with, even in the comics, right? Like people trying to explain how it works. Mm-hmm. So you know, another thing that I care too much about because it like works the way they like you kind of expect it to a little bit intuitively. This is very much nitpicky bullshit. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. But but it does. I, I noticed it more this time. I think honestly because I was I made the note to myself about Cap's shield in Ultron. Um, cause I haven't seen Ultron in a bit and I remember I wrote down, I wrote down Cap Shield has bad physics. <laughs> like, and I think because I had just watched Ultron, I was sort of keyed to see it, yeah. to see it here. Um, I also just didn't love, um, uh, the, so I remember the discs being more important than they were. I actually think that the discs are a very cool thing, which is not in the comics or whatever, which I think is pretty sweet to be honest, right? Like that's a, that's a neat aspect of, of Ant-Man. Uh, but it, all that stuff was, like, way less utilized. I think I'm remembering the Civil War fight scene, him using the discs more and doing stuff with the I also think it shows uh, up more in 2, which um, I, I, yeah. I'm excited to see that again because I remember it being, like, a a worse movie. Um, I think we talked about it at the time, but um, I don't know. The, yeah, the funny, I have no recollection of Ant-Man 2. I really don't remember how that, like, yeah. how did that whole story go? I mean, it involves a lot of the Wasp, so, like, the original Wasp, yeah. right? Like, that's, like, the big thing. But, uh, yeah, um, do you have any closing thoughts on, on, on Ant-Man before we... Uh... What are my closing thoughts on Ant-Man? Uh, Ant-Man, I do think, is ultimately pretty bad because of this core structural stuff that I'm talking about. Uh, like, this is sort of the opposite of the way that I've talked about some of these other movies, right? Like, you know, Iron Man, Iron Man is a good movie that just doesn't quite hit me in the right way. And so it's like I recognize that it's good, but it's just not my it's like not my thing. I think Ant Man is like actually bad on like a quality on like a quality level. It doesn't hit me in the right way. In fact, I probably like it better than it is good in a certain sense because there is stuff in here like like I said that that does kind of work for me. Um, but just like the, the that core drama, that core tension is just I don't know. It's like so weak, and uh, and the movie really falls apart in the middle of the second act, which I think is bad. Uh, specifically, I think the, so the heist to get into his house is cool. The heist on Pym Industries, I think is really not great. Uh, it's kind of a little too frantic and there's just like not cool stuff going on. Also, it goes, it goes a little too well, right? Like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you you need a couple until the very end, but at the very end, it's already over. You know, it's kind of like if, um, I don't know, it's a good heist movie. Ocean's 11. I don't have a great way to. I don't have a great follow-up for this. It it, it 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 does this thing where it transitions from a heist movie to an action movie. That's that's yeah. That's cool, no, and, and the only thing I I think I disagree with you on on that is um I think it is like I think the character stuff makes it good enough to still be good. You just have to like not care about the plot, which I admit is a tall order to do. But uh, you know yeah. 
Uh, it's still... No, I get that. Uh, the, the, you know, this is kind of... This reminds me a lot of... Um, in, in a way, Star Wars Episode Seven. something I talk about with Star Wars Episode Seven all the time is the plot robot thing, right? Where, like, the characters have this, like, relatable affectation or whatever, but, like, they're not real characters underneath. I, I don't want to... I wouldn't want to go that far, right? I do think that... Uh, uh, can you guys see Orion right here? Mm. <laughs> His little ears. Uh, I do think that the movie g- puts real work into Scott Lang, and, and I think he has, like, a real psyche. Like, my problem with Episode Seven is that all of the plot decisions are decisions that are made by kind of happenstance, if that makes sense. Uh, it doesn't feel like they are truly motivated by a character who is taking action. It feels like it's motivated by a script, right? Um, by, like, the needs of the script moving to the next plot point. I don't think Ant-Man is that bad. But I do think that Ant-Man, like, the, the, the court drama in Ant-Man is so weak that it's kind of a similar sort of problem, where it's like, yeah, Paul Rudd is really relatable, he's really likable, and I, like, I, I connect with that character really well, but it doesn't really support a, um, <laughs> it doesn't really support the, the rest of the movie. It can't really hold up the rest of the movie, if that makes sense. Hello, little boy. Hi. Yep. No, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I buy that. Okay, so where do you where do you put these movies in your in your yeah. in your notes? So Ant Man and Guardians of the Galaxy go on top. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, and uh, uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron goes between Iron Man one and Avengers for me, which puts it in the fifth slot. Uh, so, oh, that's actually not so bad. That is weirdly not so bad. Yeah. This is, uh, okay. So wow, that is weirdly not so bad. I expected worse from Ultron from you, but I guess uh, yeah. I don't know. That makes sense for me. Uh, so top is now, uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, very, very best movie, uh, so that's, so it is Ultron, the first Avengers, and then Winter Soldier, um, Iron Man 2, and then under that I have Guardians, so it's Iron Man 2, Guardians, Thor 2, and then down into kind of like the bottom tier, uh, Hulk, Thor, Iron Man 3, Iron Man, Captain America. Uh, my placement there for Ant-Man is under Iron Man, like between Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 3. So it is Hulk, Thor, Iron Man 3, Ant-Man, Iron Man, Captain America. Uh, ultimately, Ant-Man doesn't bother me in the way. Like, it's a two-star movie, which is exactly what I had rated it um, it before. Um, it doesn't bother me in the way that, like, the first Avenger is a movie that, like, actively pisses me off. The Ant Man is, is is fine. Like I'm not I'm not mad about Ant Man, but uh, but it doesn't quite work for me in the same way that um, I don't know some of these other ones do. So you want to give your full rundown then, top to bottom? Yeah. So my full rundown, top to bottom, we've got uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron, The Avengers, Captain America: Winter Soldier, Iron Man Two, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor Two, Hulk, Thor, Iron Man Three, Iron Man. Or I'm sorry, uh, Hulk, Thor. Uh, Iron Man 3, Ant-Man, Iron Man, Captain America, The First Avenger. All right. Mine is Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, Iron Man 1, Avengers Age of Ultron, Avengers tied with Thor 2, Captain America, The First Avenger, Iron Man 2, Thor 1, Incredible Hulk, and Iron Man 3. Yeah, wow. Iron Man 3 is really getting... getting, getting It it is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Okay, well, what uh, what do you want to talk about next? How's, how's your week? Yeah, well, we, we both I know played uh, the new Assassin's Creed, so so you want to uh, <laughs> talk about that? I I played a lot of the new Assassin's Creed. I wonder if I can check my I wonder if I can check my hours real quick. Did, did, I have what the fuck? Ubisoft shows me my distance traveled and total kills, but not how much time I put into the game. I think, oh, time played. 
fuck, 16 hours? Are you kidding? Wow, I put 16 hours into this game. Yeah, I think I had about nine before. I, so I hit a, a progress halting bug, which is um, uh, mild spoilers for Valhalla, but eventually you go to England um, and uh, and the, one of the first scenes, you're like, you do a cutscene and uh, I can't get past, like after the cutscene, my character doesn't move anymore. But I like full cleared the first zone um, before I moved on to the second zone. Um, oh really? Wait. So you got like all the mysteries, all the wealth, all the whatever. Yeah, in the in the in that initial zone. Um, not in mm. uh, not in the uh, not in the second zone because I figured it's like oh, recommended power two eighty. I'm no nowhere near that. So, um, I didn't. Buy, I did a little bit of that. Like I did the stuff in the town, but like, um, did you did you do any of this? Or how much of the stuff did you do? In the I place? full cleared wealth. Um, because so for 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 the folks at home, wealth is like items, right? Like gear, uh, and also like upgrade materials. So, for instance, carbon ingots uh, are a are an item that you can like loot, and that's considered wealth. Um, but wealth is also one special abilities, like special activated abilities, and two gear. Um, and gear is like is unique, but it's also like upgradable over time, which is one of the systems that I think is really clever about Assassin's Creed. If you like a, a sword. You can keep that sword for the for the full game. You can just upgrade it over time, and, and it kind of like stays at par with you in a way, um, which I think is honestly a very great way to, to handle this kind of an RPG system, rather than sort of like replacing out as soon as I get a better you know eye level sword or whatever. Um, being able to kind of have your full inventory like of gear open to you at any time, and you are choosing how to make that gear kind of like level appropriate feels feels pretty sweet so i cleared all of the wealth because i didn't want to go to norway or i'm sorry i didn't want to go to england leaving wealth behind on norway that i would have otherwise like wanted to use um but that was also because i thought that i wouldn't be able to travel back and forth between them which is not true you can go back to norway once you hit england uh which the story doesn't suggest that the story <laughs> kind of suggests that you're leaving norway forever yeah. um but then I got there, and it's like, oh, do you want to travel back to Norway? You can fast travel. And I was like, oh, fuck. Uh, well, uh, I guess I have all the gear now. So um, so I did that, and then I did the first two zones in England. So in, in so you arrive in England, and you immediately get a choice. It's like, oh, you can continue the story in this zone. You can continue the story in that zone sort of thing. Um, and I, I full cleared the wealth on those two zones, and I now have opened up the third zone. Which is like so. The first zone is re recommended power one, and then it's recommended power twenty um, for the for the next two. And now I'm at recommended power fifty five, which is about where I'm at. Which is one of the things that I'm a little like, whoa! I kind of can't believe that the game is like keeping pace with me on this. Um, but yeah. yeah, I'm curious. What, what, what difficulties did you set things to? Okay. Yeah. So I I set my my combat to hard, like uh, out of four, like you know, three out of four. When normal's two, I set my exploration to Pathfinder, which is the most difficult because I thought that would be fun. Um, and I set my uh, I set my stealth to normal. Um, do you know what Do you know what the different difficulties like are like? Um, so I don't. I, that's actually what I wanted to ask you about. When you like do a sink tower, do you see all of the points that you can visit? Okay, so I I don't right like like I see some of the, like I only they only pop up when I get close enough to them. Um, so like the, like the wealth and the mysteries, they only, like, I have to get close to them for me to see them. I don't get all of them by, by doing this, the, the, the Eagle Lookout Towers. Wait, I'm sorry. So what do you, what do you see? So, um, 
like on the map, I will see some like when I get within a radius of them, I will see them pop up on the map, but not before that. Okay, so do you see like the the yellow dot? Yes, but but not not like from Okay, then that is the same. Okay. I, because when I get there, it shows me the the dots. So it'll show me here's a yellow dot for wealth, here's a white dot for Oh, so whatever. I don't see the dots until I get close enough. Oh, okay. So that's the difference. Yeah. And then I don't see what the dot is until I get close. Yeah. Like yeah. When I get close and I can do it with an Odin scan, whatever that's called. Yeah, yeah. It'll show me this is a piece of gear. This is a, an ability. Yeah. This is whatever else. Same, same thing um, for me. Also, some of that stuff I found is weirdly locked. Um, and they, like this feels like a bug. I kind of can't believe the game shipped with this. If you go to a, a location in the story quest, like let's say there's a keep or whatever, and a story quest will take you to that to that keep to do this thing it'll show you wealth at that story quest location that is not there that i'm pretty sure spawns on enemies when the story triggers happen which was really frustrating because i was running around i didn't like my bow and i was trying to find a new bow i was like i want a raven aligned predator bow right because when you're doing raven aligned stuff the raven aligns to the predator bow so it's like, I want a Raven-aligned Predator bow, and I'm just going to clear out a lot of wealth but, and not progress the story at all to see if I can find it before doing all these story missions. Um, and I kept running into this, where I was like, oh, here's three yellow dots, and it's like a, a castle or something. And I'm like going into the castle, and I'm sitting on top of a dot, but there's like nothing here. Um, and then I would later come and do the story mission, and then there's like an enemy to kill or a chest to loot or something kind of along those sorts of lines. Um, which eventually was like, fine, I guess I'll just do the story missions first. Yeah. Which, it's fine. I actually really like the story in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's one of the first stories that's really gripped me, uh, that I've played in a game like this in a long time. Almost always I fall off of games that have this very long, drawn-out lead-up. Um, but Valhalla was just like, it got me right in the action with... Kierda? Who's that first warlord guy that you killed? Uh, like, Kyojida? I think yeah that guy he i was expecting him to be like a like a bigger boss yeah yeah deal. i was expecting but him to run away sort of, sort, like yeah he's sort of like the mini boss in the prologue that like first you get introduced to him pretty quickly and then you're like progressing stuff and you like run into his forces or whatever and then it's like you and your bros are about to like fight him and i was like oh he's gonna get away no you fucking kill him like you know um and that's cool like i i thought that was great and it really got me into the like like sigurd and eivor and the politics and everything like that um just because like it didn't feel like uh you know like one of the things with these games that go super super long is like a movie is like in and out and like an hour and a half, right? So your your act one is like 15 minutes, right? You have like 10 or 15 minutes to like connect to these characters, get moving. That's like not a lot of time. These games that have like 80 hour run times, the, their version of that is like two and a half hours. And it's just like, sometimes it's a real slog for me to play two and a half hours of act one bullshit. Um, so Assassin's Creed Valhalla really, really kind of kicked it to the curb by starting the story off in a real place that had like a beginning, middle and end. It felt, it felt like a pilot episode right? Yeah. rather than a, you know, like the first couple of scenes of a movie stretched out over two and a half hours. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I, I've been definitely enjoying it. I'm curious, but what, what, uh, uh, so I would recommend doing the mysteries to an extent just cause like they are fun. Like they're like cool, 
um, story moments. Um, they're kind of like they reminded me kind of the side quests in uh, Witcher Three. I haven't played Witcher Three super extensively, but like, um, and they're like bite sized. But like, one of them's like, uh, like they're all like, some of them are combat encounters, but they're all kind of like have interesting story beats, right? Like one of them is you find somebody who's like a seventh son of a seventh son. And uh, he's like, I, I, my uncles uh, and my brothers have all proved themselves to glory and I'm kind of a coward. So I need to do something. Um, and so he says, can you lure an animal over here for me? And so you do. Um, and I think you can like save him, but I just kind of let him fight it. And the bear like killed him. And, <laughs> and he's like, oh, I guess, you know, he wasn't good enough. <laughs> and he's like, story <laughs> I, I am role playing pretty hard as a Viking. I won't do, I won't do any like story spoilers, but there are, this is a game where I have gotten into the character in a way that like, in sort of like that mass effect yeah. dragon age kind of way where like. I'm making these decisions based on sort of like piloting a, someone else's character. Like there's a moment where you're fighting a guy like in one of these quests, right? Like one of the quests that I was doing at some point, you're fighting a guy, but he's like a really cool guy. Right. And he's more or less just following orders. Um, and you know that like the Lord he is fighting for has betrayed him. Right. And has basically sold him out and that he is fighting for literally like, nothing but like he is there and he's like i am going to fight for my lord and i'm gonna fight for you know like the glory of god like against you pagans or whatever and um and so you do this whole fight scene with him but then you have the choice to kill him right or to spare him and there's another character there and the, and the character there wants you to spare him he's like oh he just he doesn't know about the Lord's betrayal. If you tell him, he will surrender, right? If you tell him that it's hopeless, that he's fighting for nothing, he'll surrender. And then Eivor goes, no, like, he he is fight. He's not, he, I don't care about his Lord. He's fighting for glory. That was a great battle. He should die and go to Valhalla or whatever. And I was like, hell yeah, I killed this dude, right? Like, But that's like a decision that you like only makes sense in like Eivor who, like, believes in Odin and in dying a glorious death. Like, this is a part that I think is actually really sweet about the game, where, like, they make a lot, a big deal about, like, glorious combat and, like, honorable combat and, like, you know, the cowardice of Eivor's dad and all this other sort of stuff. Um, And those choices are pretty great. They're just, like, RP choices as far as I've I've seen. There have been a couple of times where I feel like there's a branching narrative, but the game doesn't actually tell me there's one. Yeah. Which, like feels good to be honest it feels like those choices have like real weight and sort of matter because they're not being systemized yeah just yeah yeah because you're making the choice because you want to make the choice rather because like uh, yeah like and there's a couple of these things too right like um during when you sneak in to like confront um grom like kill it for the sun uh gorm or whatever his name is for the first time like it's like your stealth tutorial i screwed it up and i i killed two people because like i i alerted them um and then, like, when you go to Leif to England, it's like two people died. Pay the pay pay the you have to pay the the blood price, right? Or you have to pay like the silver price, right? Um, and um, it doesn't matter because um, wait, so you got exiled to England? For I didn't get exiled, right? They came and they said you have to make it right. And Sigurd's father pays the, the bounty, so it's not like the end of the world. Whoa, but it's, that's crazy. Yeah, see, I didn't get seen. Yeah. Uh, like, I got all the way in there without, without like, alerting anybody or killing anybody. So that never even triggered yeah. me. So, like, when it happened to him, like, what, what are they talking about? I didn't kill anybody. And it's like, oh, was that from then I went and looked up? It's like, yeah, it's because you screwed up the fucking stealth mission, right? Like, so <laughs> there are these little things that I think are, are very cool. Um, that is honestly super sweet. Yeah. 
Um, but I, like I said, I highly recommend doing the mysteries. One of them is like you fight a big moose um, in the. In, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, do they even have moose in Norway? I thought moose were. Uh, maybe it's an elk, but it, 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 it's a big moose-looking thing. Maybe it's an elk. Um, okay, but yeah, you know, it, it's whatever it is. But uh, it is or like a reindeer or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Also, like the mini games are, are weird but fun. Like the like the flighting. Right, which is I like fighting a lot. I haven't done the other ones. Well, one of the things I told myself, like I know Shadowlands is coming out in a week, right? So this game has a expiration, <laughs> and normally I would do the thing where I go and I do all the side quests and I complete all the missions in a zone before moving on because I like being that kind of completionist gamer. But right now I am not. I'm not doing no. that. I'll go get all the wealth because I don't. I. I, to be honest, I don't even think I'm going to get any wealth anymore. I still haven't found a Raven Predator bow, but I did find a Raven uh, axe that's pretty sweet. Um, and so I've been I've been like doing that and doing all my like cool like Raven gear stuff related to that. But I just like I feel like if I get bogged down in the like the little side quests and mysteries and all that stuff. Um, I'm like only gonna say see like ten minutes of this game. It feels like you know what I mean. Whereas yeah. if I if I'm really focusing and kind of gunning on these main story quests, I can at least get like deeper into the experience. Yeah, makes sense. Um... Also, the the way the assassins happen in this game is really sweet. I won't spoil that either, but it is an incredibly cool system. Uh, that I that reminds me a lot of Shadow of Mordor, though it's not quite that system. It's like you are um, uh, you you like are deciphering clues. You're getting clues in like lines of dialogue or like notes on the ground, and you're trying to find the identities of like these hidden guys that you're like supposed to kill. Um, and it's very cool. It's super sweet. I think that that system is like really neat, and I'm all about it. All right, very cool. Um. What else to talk about? Well, we let's talk about Star Wars, I guess. Is there anything we want to talk about? Oh, yeah, we played Star Wars. I actually really liked this session, to be honest, even though uh, I didn't quite go the way that I was expecting it to, in a way. How are you? But I was like, I want to do a Starship session. We've like never really yeah. done like a real, true, blue Starship session. So the the point of the session was like, uh, you know, uh, a space station explodes, and on the space station is a ship, and that ship just jettison, gets jettisoned out into space, right? Um, and is just flying in space for six months, and then at some point somebody gets an indication that it's still around, so you guys have to like get it. Um, and it was one of those things where I was like, okay, where, how, like, how can I make sort of uh, like interesting, like like interesting challenges out of uh, like spaceship stuff? Uh, and, and I feel like that was like pretty, like pretty cool. I like the whole bit at the very end. The spaceship combat, man. Spaceship combat just fucking sucks everywhere. Maybe it should have been more dangerous. I thought that it was going to be much more dangerous than it was, but um, you know. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of. I feel like especially when you're doing it remotely. I, I like the, so that one time we played it at Gen Con. We played Starfinder like in person. I thought that, that really worked out well. That's because we were like standing at the table and facing off against somebody else. Um, yeah. But like, anytime we tried to do it over the internet, it's just kind of like you know. Well, it's it's like sometimes you know like combat drags that like like takes a while, but at least you do interesting things, and you you are not capable of doing interesting things on your turn in, in like spaceship combat because you've got like less options of what to do. And I, I don't know how to solve that. Yeah, and it always see if what it feels like, and what they want to do is they want to get that Star Trek thing where like you're all in the bridge and like each person has a station, yeah. and it's like raise the shields or whatever. But I just don't think that that makes that works super well in 
a round by round thing. Yeah. Like everybody gets their round of combat. Like I almost sort of think that it would be better served if it was each ship gets its own turn. But like you have a, a, a an expanded up like maybe you get two actions, two maneuvers, right? And you have a captain who is sitting at a table and he's not actually doing things, but he's telling people, all right, one of our actions is going to the pilot and then the pilot resolves his action. One of our actions is going to the, this thing and then the weapons guy fires the gun or whatever. Um, rather than this kind of like, because I, I feel like what constantly keeps happening is we get to people who are just like, what am, what am I doing here, right? Like uh, the, all the guns are manned, the computers are whatever. Yeah, I mean, part of that might be the party size, but I, even without that, I think that like it's still it's still not great, right? Like it's yeah. like I, I think the things that make like combats interesting are like meaningful choices, and there's not usually a lot of them, um, and it's just hard to set up a, a space combat with, with those meaningful choices. Um, yeah, it's also something that we haven't done a lot of it, obviously. So you know, yeah. it's not. Um, it's harder to build to it to make it more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I have no feel for the balance. I mean, I, I guess I just didn't quite understand how easy it was going to be to hit those guys. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh well, if I make them silhouette two, they're gonna have the bonus to hit, so they're gonna put a lot of damage on the ship, and they're gonna be harder to hit. So even though, like, you know, like you get the satisfying feeling of you shoot it once and it blows up, right? They kind of are like one hit kills in that in that sort of sense. Um, but but like there will be some misses in there, and I just. I don't know, Nick's gunnery skills off the fucking track, I, That's okay. That's the crazy thing, right? Like, it's like neither of our gunnery skills are good. It's just that we have such high base agility that, like, it makes hitting it, hitting it super easy. I, I think, I think like, you mentioned this last time, right? Like, combat for combat's sake, I think, is just not great in the system, right? Like, you need something else motivating the combat in order for it to, to work right. Um, yeah, maybe I should have added, like, a bigger, more powerful ship that you guys couldn't really blow up. But, like, because the, the idea was that it was going to be hard to kill these things, but you could outrun them. And, like, your turn timer ticks down and you astrogate away. But they just, I just expected them to last yeah. and be more threatening. And then they were not. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's the thing to, to, to figure out. I'm curious as to what you expected to, ha to, to happen that, that didn't go the way you planned. It was that it was that, that, that the, the ship didn't combat didn't work out as uh i expected you guys actually i was planning on another combat where you guys were going to have to try and duck i was i was thinking there were going to be two ship combats the first one was going to be at the listening post and the second one was going to be at the thing i expected you guys not to do this bribe um like i don't know i just i in my head i was like oh they're gonna arrive and someone's gonna be like we're gonna do a bribe or whatever um and uh and then you guys were immediately gonna say like no and it was gonna it was gonna kind of like devolve from there but i think that you guys were relatively clever about that whole thing and so i just kind of let it go oh yeah also like you didn't set the bride price high enough for it to like matter so yeah. much and then, yeah and then at that point it was just like and then at that point Zhao was like can i hack the money i was like fine <laughs> whatever man it's 50 bucks who cares kind of thing uh and then uh, also the end was a little bit different. I expected you guys to shoot the ship, uh, and I didn't expect you to. Uh, I expected you to shoot the ship, and I didn't expect you to deal with the ship in quite the way that I was expecting you to take it more as a trial by fire, like the shutting down the security systems, all that piece. I didn't expect that to happen. That was always in my mind because I was like, 
you know, I feel like it's important to give Zhao an opportunity for this stuff, but I just figured that you would be, like, sniping these turrets or whatever, like, open the door, snipe the turrets kind of thing, so, you know. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was, it was definitely a, a, a neat session, and, like, I, like, I don't know, it, it's interesting to see, like, Rohan and X are, are relatively new players, and they, like, very clearly come from, like, a more video game, like a crunchier world, right? It's like, you know, and we can get more loot off of the ship. And it's like, eh, how, how, like, like, how, how do you like, cause like, it makes sense that those characters like would act, especially V, right? Like X has a little bit less of a defined personality, but I think that's just cause he's less used to playing these types of games. Um, but I think the right call there was for Jad to just like kick the thing out and be like, whatever nerds we're, we're, we're leaving. This isn't worth the effort type of deal. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think my favorite part of that whole session, I like that it's spinning and you guys have to figure out the spinning. And like I said, I expected you to shoot it with lasers um, to to try and get it to like un to like unspin. And I had a whole little like mini game sort of built for that, um, where like depending on the amount of damage that you do, you decrease or increase the spin. So like if you hit it too hard, you could actually respin it in the other direction, kind of thing. You're try- you're just trying to like slow it down, but as it takes damage, the systems are frying, which was kind of the um, the thing with the core overloading. Mm-hmm. Um, that this is also part of where like it, it didn't quite go as I played, but I like the the thing where you you do with the tow cable and then you pull it out of its spin and it's going super fast. I just love that. Yeah. You know, like as a concept, I think that that is like a a neat. I don't know Star Warsy thing, yeah. right? We're gonna we're gonna jump out of the airlock to another starship that's going like a gazillion miles an hour, and if it overshoots us, we're fucked because we're going at max speed. Yeah, no, I I, I thought I thought it went. I, I thought like like that's part of it. I appreciate about it was like you know V's desire to like be inventive about the solution. I thought I thought it worked really well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was the other thing is that I wanted to create a like a mechanics encounter, you know, like a, me- a computerish mechanics-ish kind of encounter for because uh, obviously we have a million fucking mechanics yeah. in this party um, for like those guys to kind of sink their teeth into. Yeah, no, it's it's it's. it's, it's but I'm excited to like not GM this game for six fucking months as Shadowlands takes over my life. I guess <laughs> that's not true, but whatever. Uh, I was like, I was like, I gotta tag in a little bit so I don't like you yeah, know like lazy build, build up your cred. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, otherwise, I've just been playing some Apex Season 7. The other thing I wanted to mention is I listened to The Road on audiobook. Um, Cormac McCarthy's... Cormac McCarthy book? Yeah. Um, it is fucking depressing, but it's good. Like, <laughs> the, the prose is pretty great, but, like, it is it is a, it a speculative fiction, like a um, hardcore, you know, the world is in its decline and everything is kind of terrible. Um, yeah, it, well, because he wrote that book, Cormac's McCar- Cormac McCarthy's thing, as far as I understand. I read Blood Quantum, Blood Margin, one of those books in college, and we, like, talked about it, but one of the things that, like, the professor was talking about, is I was like, Cormac McCarthy seems, like, motivated by how unrealistic pop culture is about this stuff, and The Road feels like, you think Fallout sounds cool, or Mad Max sounds cool, no. It would fucking suck. Yeah. It's like, and it's the same thing with the, whatever this one, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like Cowboys, right? It's like, oh, you think Cowboys are cool? No. Shit was genocide. And it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so it feels like, it feels like Cormac McCarthy's like a wet blanket. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Just wants you to 
not have fun with like with this kind of shit. Yeah, but like like I said, the the, the prose like I'm, I'm sure it came across in whatever book you read, but the prose is just kind of like like incredible, like in like in like a, in, in like a way that like. I think it also tempers just like how terrible the things are in the books that happen, right? Like if you run it through like like you know seventeen like thousand words, it like feels less bad, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's also just very evocative. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I would I would recommend it to people. Um, what, do you want to talk about anything else? God, do I want to talk about anything else? I've started watching Kim's Convenience again. Ooh. Because uh, you watched this. I mean, we watched it. Gen Con, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I forgot how accurate this show feels. I mean, well, I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't talk about, I guess, I was going to say, this, do you have an Uncle Kim? Specifically, yeah, right, because, you know, I'm not a Korean immigrant <laughs> in Canada. Um, but specifically the mom, because my stepmother is Japanese. She's a Japanese immigrant. And the, the mom is is so accurate it's like painful i like I, i'm like cringing at times because it's so realistic and it like it's like oh my god i've been in this precise situation so many times kind of thing uh yeah i this is because the actor who plays Appa, the uh the dad um was in like the Mandalorian, and so he got he was getting tweeted all over the place. And I was like, oh yeah, they did more seasons of Kim's Convenience. Why did I never finish it? So you know, we're we're, we're going back. We're giving it another shot, kind of thing. Excellent. Um, is that it? I guess that's it. Yeah. All right. Well, if you'd like to contact us, and tell us what you thought about any of the movies we talked about today, or any of the games we talked about today, or anything we talked about today, you can email us at podcasts at gmail dot com. Or, uh, wait, no, I said the two just at the same time. Podcast at simdurstplaygames.com or simdurstplaygames at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on twitch.tv slash games where hopefully you're watching this live. You can uh, listen to the recordings on SoundCloud and watch the VODs on YouTube. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, great review us, all that great stuff. Um, that's everything I had. But do you have anything else you want to promote? Uh, I have one thing I want to promote and one note. So we're going to be off next week uh, right. because Thanksgiving. Megan's going to be out of town. And also Shadowlands drops three hours ago a week from now. So I will not be I will not be doing this. I will be playing video games. Uh, and, um, and also I will be streaming this weekend. Uh, I'll be streaming on Friday in the normal time slot of 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. But it will not be an episode of Buddy Gets Good. It will be an episode of Indie Investigations, which is Miguel's show. Uh, my partner in crime, social media manager Miguel at Akupara Games. Uh, because I'm going to be off the week of Thanksgiving um, for the aforementioned Shadowlands release, uh, I am taking over his show, which normally goes this week, and he is going to be doing an episode of Miguel Gets Good next week. So I'm going to be playing Indie Investigations Wave Break. Uh, shout out to my good buddy Kyle, who is the CM over on the Wave Break team. Uh, we, we love Wave Break, and we've been like friends with them for a long time. One of our marketing guys worked on Wave Break for a long time. So I feel like it's it's finally time to get into it on... Uh, on the Aquapara game stream. Wave Break is a, it is a boat game that it's like a Tony Hawk game. Ah. Where like you're doing ramps and shit, but there's also guns and it's all very Miami Vice kind of like That actually flavored. sounds pretty cool. Maybe I'll check it out. Have you ever heard about it? It's like, no. a, yeah, it's, yeah, Wave Break. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. Uh, it's also like a VR game or something. Really? It's from a VR studio. Uh, and I think they have a VR version that I'm like, how the fuck do you do a VR version of this? Well, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll check that out. I've, I've got, that. I've got the quest, so maybe, maybe I'll yeah. give that a look. Anyway, uh, that is it. That's the stuff I want to promote. All right. Well, uh, with that, uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.